Well, hello and welcome to Gaming from the First Age. My name's First Age and I'm back with another podcast to talk about gaming. And in particular, this time around, well, it's again, once more, it is not the podcast that I was quite expecting. Last time I threw myself headlong into 4th edition Dungeons and Dragons, of all things. Well, this time round, I'm going to throw myself into virtual tabletops. We're going to talk a bit about virtual tabletops this time. Once again, it's not the gaming review of 2020 that I was expecting, or even perhaps a look forward to 2021 as promised. And I have to say, now that we're in mid-February, well, I just wonder if that bus has um, been missed, actually. Uh, Never mind, not to worry. Let's talk about virtual tabletops tabletops for role-playing game play and part of the reason I wanted to do this was I've recently acquired another one and I'm looking into uh, another one as part of my suite of virtual tabletops and I was reflecting and I have been reflecting on my personal journey through discovering these virtual tabletops and how they can enable and support my role-playing play so that's kind of where I was why I sort of it was it's the topic of the moment for me I suppose and I guess to get there and make something of it for this podcast I'd like to split it into two segments the first one would be a general reflection on at least my intense use of them over the past year I ran probably about 80 I was in about 80 plus sessions last year of gameplay. Many, many of those, um, obviously, particularly after February, were on virtual virtual tabletops. And so something about what I've experienced over that past year, how they maybe influence play, and what I generally find about them in terms of their advantages, their disadvantages in general, maybe their perks and flaws, (laughs) or their boons and banes, if you really must. So that's segment one. Segment two, I would like to talk about the very particular virtual tabletops that I have actually used and experienced. So looking at you know individual ones that I've used, it, they, it comes to about four of them. It won't be exhaustive, it won't be comprehensive, but it will reflect my journey using them, build on maybe some of the themes, these sort of general themes that we'll explore, and maybe something about what I want to get out of using them. But I hope that's of interest and it informs and resonates with you a little bit, uh, or at the very least, uh, I suppose, amuses. Uh, I'll take that. Okay, without further ado, let's get into that first segment. So then, well, virtual tabletops. There's no shortage of them. I mean, there is a wide range now of virtual tabletops out there. And I suppose if I was wanting to categorise them, because that's what we're good at, isn't it? Categorizing things. I would reflect that they probably bunch into a group of features, and I mostly characterize them in three groups. The first one would be, I suppose, where video conferencing up front is primal modus operandi. It's about the people, it's about the video, it's about the audiovisual connection. It's more effectively taking their cues from video conferencing software, and, and that's the predominant feature and focus of that particular platform. The second group I would say are, well, they're light and simple and free. And most of them are about deploying using tokens and maps to supplement the aforementioned video conferencing, really. So it's a way of representing things in play so you can see what's going on. It presents a table. I suppose the third one is somewhere in between the two. It's a more complex 
uh, virtual tabletop that are actually integrating the content of game systems themselves and through automation, character generation, maybe turn tracking, hit point loss, conditions, point and click macros that will undertake functions, game rule functions in game and during play and many other features as well. Atmospheric features, sound, video backdrops, quite a lot, you know, chat, large integration, and possibly throwing in some audio visual as well. Quite complex, quite weight, weighty, meaty VTTs. So it's video conferencing, light and simple, and the more complex sort of do-it-all kind of virtual tabletops. And obviously there's some blend between uh, all three of those groups. And ultimately, which one you might pick, uh, or indeed which one I might pick, will of course come down to what we want to get out of them. For me, I'm not sure at the moment, which is why I'm sort of playing around with probably around about four, actually. There probably isn't one size that fits all. I guess if you're just happy to stay with paper and pencil, actually, rubbers, uh, the delights of the physical dice, and who wouldn't, uh, thrown down, maybe with trust, possibly using shared dice rolling spaces online uh, away from virtual tabletop just to keep that log of you know visible dice rolls then pro probably a lighter virtual tabletop is simply the way to go or simply using a sort of good video conferencing connection uh, with some shareable boards and some other bits and pieces if you want to actually put those in for notes and images uh, or screen sharing uh, you're, you're probably covered if you want to use more automation, then some of the heavier virtual tabletops will provide you with a ton of options and some blending between the two. I mean, I'm, I'm, I am running 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons now. I'm into a campaign using that game system. My virtual tabletop is one of the lighter ones, uh, and you might expect it to be one of the more heavily integrated ones. There is some integration in Roll20, for example. We'll talk about Roll20 a bit later when we look at the particulars that I've encountered, but I'm using paper and pencils to mark things off. Uh, and we're focusing on being able to see each other, just as if we were at a real table, to be honest. I am using other tools like character generators and, and online rules references and so on, but they're not specific to the virtual tabletop experience per se. And by the way, um, for those of you seeking to keep up or to follow up on my last podcast, 4th edition uh, Dungeons and Dragons, I can confirm it delivers a really fun game at the table. But more on that, I think, later in the year. So, yeah, there's kind of lots of flavours and lots of levels, almost like a spectrum of complexity that you could decide to use and to help you deliver a really good game with friends over the internet from the comfort of your own office, home, corner, kitchen table, wherever. Now, I don't have any particular feelings about sort of one grouping or indeed even one particular virtual tabletop over another though I have been on my own journey, which I will reflect on a bit later. But I would say that whatever you decide to use, that they all have brought something. And I wanted to talk about the things that they have brought, because I think they are terrific and have really, really helped us to game in what has been a phenomenally difficult year, to say the very least. So first off, they've enabled gaming to actually happen. Uh, I think without these... Uh, capabilities and even without you know even without video conferencing we wouldn't be able to connect so easily and we probably would not have games so hurrah for virtual tabletops at whatever level you're using them i expect that we will look for something a little bit different when translating the hobby to online but the big one for me i've, I've really wanted to keep 
being able to see players in an integrated way with whatever we're doing, whatever virtual tabletop we're, we're using, I'd like to have a real sense that I can actually see the players, much as I would see a player round a table. That sense that people are actually are there. And so seeing them for me is a really important feature and not all the virtual tabletops do that. So that shaped a little bit of my thinking on which virtual tabletops are important to me. I'd like to have that integrated into the virtual tabletop itself. You don't have to do that. You can, of course, blend. As I say, you can blend. You can have Discord running with Discord video up and running in a corner somewhere. And if you want to flick between the two, then, of course, you can. But I, if I can get it integrated and there's a facility for me to do that, then that would be great. It's not new. I mean, we're using, we, I was using Skype and Hangouts when that was a thing. I think, is it still a thing, Hangouts? I don't know. I don't think it is. Google Meet, whatever it might be, Zoom. And we had some good games back in the day. And at its most basic, I think that's probably all that you really need. It's been a huge boom. They've kept me in contact with people and indeed with the hobby that I love. I think one of the things about virtual tabletops, again, that however you're using them is great, is that they transcend geography. So in my fourth edition group, for example, I have a player from Seattle. I have a player from California, somebody from Birmingham, Birmingham, UK, by the way, and uh, Essex, and a couple of us, uh, not in the same room, from Sheffield. So a rich mix of people that I would otherwise never have gamed with, or some of them, and it broadens my horizons. I love the simplicity of switching on, playing, switching off, and then I'm, I'm just immediately at home. I don't have that sort of commute, if you like, from the gaming venue, wherever it is, back to home before I can get on with sort of the rest of my day or indeed the rest of my evening or indeed, frankly, just getting to bed. <laughs> so so that, that, that switch on, switch off capability is really, really useful. One of the things I wondered, actually, and again, this is about how we use the virtual tabletops. Last year, don't get, I haven't done my review, but last year was so spoilers, <laughs> Fantasy D20 dominated as it happens, which is a little bit of a surprise to me, a bit of a kick at the moment. And I wondered how much it was influenced by using tactical map virtual tabletops, whether that encouraged that style of game and whether I moved into them for that reason. On balance, I actually, I think probably not. Uh, I think that return was fueled by other things. But it's true to say that the game that you want to play, whatever it is, opens up different possibilities and different capabilities of these virtual tabletops. And it depends, again, very much how you want to use them. So that's something we can explore a little bit, maybe when we look at the particulars in segment two. Game duration. It's another feature of online play. Not sure how you find them. Now, receive wisdom. I don't actually still know why. Is that a convention slot's about four hours? What was, your, what was your home gaming slot like before you were on virtual tabletops, if you did indeed meet in real space? Mine's probably, it's probably about, actually, not that much more. Because I find that when I'm online, the game duration I'm looking for is about two and a half hours. I think it's about my sweet spot for online gaming. Now, you may sort of stand back in horror and say, really, that much? Or, or you may say to me, really? <laughs> Only two and a half hours? But that's, that kind of works for me. If I'm starting at about half past seven, uh, in, the, in the evening anyway, I'll look to want to finish around about 10 o'clock. Now, depending on what you're looking for, really, and what you want to use, they offer a varying steps of sophistication, a way to share assets and maps and secret chats, which is all really good for play. And I think they, they add something 
because of the very nature of the facilities that they give you. Um, yes, you can throw little bits of paper around a table or ask a player to step outside for a secret chat, but you can do that in some ways very, very easily with virtual tabletops. So they add something, I think, to play. And if you are looking for something for a bit, bit tactical in play or for good visualization of action, then obviously virtual tabletops can offer something with the huge array of content that you can include. And part of me wonders, you know, if we'll be a bit disappointed, you know, by the state of handouts when we get back to physical play. You know, oh, is that it? I'm used to you giving me something that's animated and, you know, <laughs> with, with, with fog of war built in. Uh, probably not. But, you know, it's a thought, isn't it? We'll be going back to bits of paper, printouts, all that kind of stuff. Interesting. The other facet, perhaps, is open dice rolls. Now, obviously, on the table, you could just have open dice rolls and no GM screen. I'm not particularly bothered about GM screens other than, you know, as a reference literally for the rules. But I do like open dice rolls. And yes, you can generally hide them on a virtual tabletop as well with a click and a, a what have you. But for me, dice rolling is part of the experience and sharing that is fun. And I'm not I'm not a fan of, of, of the fudge anyway. Generally, that just means that the game isn't the game part of what you're doing either doesn't work for you or you haven't found where the game part of your play should actually fit in an actual session. But I do like the fact that it's all open. I just click a button and there is the result and everyone can share in the triumph and the disaster. And there's something about you clicking a button on a computer which means, I don't know, it's not my fault. It was the computer, you know. But I think that all adds to play. So they, they, they all, all the virtual tabletops are adding something into our experience. If you're looking at things that they don't bring, well, clearly they aren't going to bring us together physically in a, in a space, are they? That feeling of connection and th and those more obvious sort of facial nuances that you get, that sense of connection when you're communicating with somebody close up in a room, they, they can't give you that experience. There's that slight sense of detachment. However good the audio-visual experience is through them, there is that sense of detachment. And that's just something that they can't quite live up to. I think for me also, and I've noticed this particularly with online conventions, I don't know how you found them, but in a convention situation, it's more than just the game you're playing. Games morph into social contact and into side chats and discussions and as sessions break and you move around, you've got all those rich interactions with your mates, finding new people in that kind of environment and talking to them, finding out more and something great about the buzz around the games and just being with people in real space and hearing those side explosions of joy and despair in the other games that are happening around what you're doing. You lose all that. You sort of don't get that. It's a very isolated box of a game, which, again, comes with some advantages. The distractions there are more about what's happening online around you and whether you're clicking and fiddling around with other things. But you miss all that rich connection with people, obviously, with virtual tabletops. And you know what? It would be nice to roll some actual dice now and again. I kind of miss that, really. I've invested in the plastic, so I might as well use it. So, there you go. Virtual tabletops. I'm, I'm going to say they're a good thing, obviously, because they've allowed us to carry on with our hobby. And I've had some great games using them in the great variety in which you've used them. I've had some fantastic games where some of the complexity of some of the heavier game systems have simply been handled by the virtual tabletop itself. And therefore you're focusing back in on the play experience 
but leveraging all that rich sort of game mechanics without the complexity of actually having to engage with them almost. It's very interesting that you can do both those things in some of those heavier virtual tabletops. So what I'm saying, I suppose, is that they're, they're all good, they're interesting, and I have enjoyed using them in the wide range of that spectrum between simplicity to slightly more complicated and integrated uh, virtual tabletops. So those are my, some of my takes on virtual tabletops. What are yours? Have you found them? Maybe you've got a favourite, and if so, why? Or maybe your favourite position is, actually, I don't want to use them. I want to use that um, video conferencing experience so I can get close to people, I can see people, and then I'm happy just to roll the dice on the table. All good, all good gaming. Okay, that's the end of this segment. And in the next segment, well, I'm going to talk about the specifics, some of the ones that I've actually encountered, and what I actually think about them. If you are a mighty hero, a feud barbarian, or a wily wizard, why not pop by to the gaming tavern to get your provisions before you go out on your wonderful quest? That's www.gamingtavern.uk Actual provisions are not available. Just chitter-chatter. This is an internet forum, you dummies. Okay then, now let's take a look at some of the virtual tabletops that are out there. The ones that I've had a go at. And I'm going to do this, well, in chronological order. Now that doesn't mean to say that I had some cunning plan, you know, back in the day. <laughs> I've, I've, you know, logically and thematically moved my way through a series of virtual tabletops, uh, reaching towards Nirvana. Uh, no. No, I have meandered the digital corridors of virtual tabletops in a sort of fairly haphazard way. But I have to say, it does betray that I'm still kind of looking for something, I suppose, that's that kind of works well. And I think it's also true to say that I've found things that either work well enough or work fairly well for a particular style of game. At the moment, I have, as I say, a blend of different virtual tabletops that I might bring out for different situations, not only in terms of the game, but maybe the context. If I'm going into uh, a convention game, I'm going to want to have to think about the poor people that are actually going to play. And if I am going to inflict one of these left field virtual tabletops upon them, well, at least make it a simple one, you know? We don't want to spend half the session trying to work out which button to push when you've got everything else that you want to do, including actually enjoying the game. So this is kind of, I thought a chronology might, I don't know, it might say something about about that progression, but we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see. I don't actually know, let's find out. I'm going to start with just simple video conferencing actually because that's where I that is where I started it was hangouts back in the day I guess we were new to it all and we were kind of work out what what this was and how it worked and how was it different that we weren't actually physically together and all those things some of those things that I talked about in the first segment were frankly true I just you know that's quite good I can switch on and switch off again there was something about the connection that wasn't quite as good so there was a lot of dropouts there still are dropouts actually it just wasn't a comp quite a complete enough experience for me at the time. And it might be that I was just new to it. If I went back to something that was just simply purely always a, a video conference, that might be okay. But I suppose I've had a taste of others which can do some really nice things that push some parts out of the way and automate, and I can focus more in on the game. Plus, there's a the tactical maps side of the things which I have, I have been involved in and using. So it was good. 
Um, and it got me into the idea, the sort of notion of virtual tabletops, remote gaming, gaming over the internet. I understand that Jitsi is, is currently popular, uh, in part because it's, it's free. Uh, and people say that the quality is, is good too. But I know that people are using Zoom, they're using um, Google Meet, they're using possibly Microsoft Teams, I don't know. But they're using all sorts. Facebook, uh, sort of Facebook Meet as well. It's not called Facebook Meet, but Facebook, whatever it is. So it's out there, it's usable, and it gets you into a game. Discord as well, of course, is the... Um, and I had a great game of Atlantis the Second Age. Um, we just used Discord, and we used a dice bot on Discord with let's just do dice rolls. Bob's your uncle. Very good. So that's where I started. And then the next one I will mention and talk a little bit about is Roll20. And inevitably we talk about Roll20 because I think it's probably the most popular virtual tabletop out there right now. It's a For me, it's a good example of the heavier, and I mean that in a good way, virtual tabletops. Front and centre maps and tokens again. You don't have to use maps and tokens, obviously, uh, on it. But it, it facilitates that. And I've played some great games on Roll20. And I've, I've run a few. Because that's when I started in you know, looking at these sort of specifically built bits of software that lets us do this kind of thing. In, in my experience, it, it's fine. As a GM, I found the interface clunky and fairly unappealing. And I think aesthetics must be a thing for me because functionally it's good. A lot of system support, good integration with systems and with other services such as D&D Beyond. You know, I don't run 5e, but if I did, great. So there's quite a lot there. There's a lot of systems that are supported with community built sheets or indeed official built sheets. So that it's good in that sense. The audiovisual component on it has historically been quite poor, I found. We, we had a long series of games with it where we just kept dropping out and having to reconnect. And that's, that is a thing for me. Uh, you know, I, I like that to be as good as it can be. And for this, of course, I'm not even necessarily blaming Roll20, actually. And it's either the person-to-person -person nature of the WebRTC technology that underpins what they're using, it just means that it's going to always struggle a little bit, particularly for players who either don't enjoy very good broadband or who do, but have, you know, quite in contended exchanges or quite contended home use, actually. You know, Netflix, YouTube, I'm looking at you. So I have suggested recently that we only use the video part of audiovisual in Roll20 and to do our sound over at Discord. And the reason I suggested that was I've been watching the Dungeon Musing YouTube channel uh, a lot of their D&D &D actual plays. And that, that, I think that's exactly what they do. They, they only use the video element of the audio visual on Roll20. And I think, yes, their audio is away in Discord. And that seemed to hold up. When we tried it, literally just last week, it held up pretty well, actually. There was pretty much no problem at all. And on a first try, that looked good. And I was delighted to see that the others thought, hey, this is really good. You've got the, the people in amongst the action around the virtual tabletop game. And so, who knows, maybe we've hit upon uh, a solution for us, for Roll20. And that would be really good, actually. That will make me look at Roll20 again, probably. I say probably because, let me sort of go down my journey a little bit further. So I went from Roll20 and I thought, yeah. At the time, I thought, no, I'm not, it's not quite the right one for me. And I found, I don't know how I found Let's Roll. I went in quite early with Let's Roll. And I have done a video run-through of Let's Roll functionality. So if you happen to pop onto YouTube and have a look at that, I'll, I'll be there telling you all about it. It's currently in Alpha, and it's also currently in Kickstarter at time of recording, which will lead to a beta phase later this year. So it has quite some significant more development to come. 
been my virtual tabletop choice for about a year. So it, it's an important one for, uh, for me. I was drawn to it because it was simple to use, attractive, highly responsive, browser only. It was free, actually, which I thought I'm a bit surprised about. It was free. There's no subscription to it. It was free. The browser only element is important to me as I'm a Chromebook user. If I'm running a virtual tabletop session, I'll tend to use my Windows PC, actually. Predominantly, I'm, I'm on Windows. I've got plenty, I've got quite a lot of screen real estate as well, so that doesn't even bother me either. So I'm quite fortunate in that respect. But I like the idea that if I'm, I'm away or I'm doing something and I want to play a game, I can pull out a Chromebook and just, and, and, and just play. And so Let's Roll did that for me as well. I think another feature, I say a feature, a facet of my journey is that I'm, I have to admit, I'm not, I'm not particularly a coder. This is actually a factor for me. If I can get into a game and use a virtual tabletop without having to have you know, any particular coding ability, then that really works for me. Now, I don't think I'm getting the most out of Let's Roll because I've, I've struggled slightly with their system builder, which again, is a free capability. You can build any sheet that you like as long as you can use the system builder. I have the feeling I should give that another go. The generic sheet they give you, however, which you just literally plug and play, in it comes and you can add elements, repeatable elements into that generic sheet works very, very well. It's great. I've used that just that generic sheet for a wide range of systems and run Pathfinder second edition on it for a good year. So I can use it. There's a lot of hand building and a lot of hand crafting on that. Um, every single monster that I create on the generic sheet has to be built from scratch. There's no compendium that I can just say, oh, I want a null. Why would you not want a null? Click, there's my null. No, I can't do that. I've got to start again and put in uh, three saving throws, an initiative rating, some attacks, some damage, some other bits and pieces. So it's very, very time intensive to build up a game using Let's Roll, for me anyway. But it, once it's there, it's really simple to play and really easy to use. I have backed it. I've said really as a thank you to say well, thank you very much. You, you know, you've been my home, my sort of gaming home for my own games for about a year and you've done it really well. So thank you very, very much. Um, and I think it will also stay with me as a lightweight but well-featured virtual tabletop that delivers a good game. It has very simple fog of war, just polygon drawing, but uh, it's, also, it's it's manual, but it works. And it, it works fine for me. That's more than enough. It's got YouTube integration. So, you know, you can pick out all those, those fantastic ambient tracks that are available on YouTube and you can just weave them in. You know, you can load a scene and it can automatically start playing that streamed content, that streamed sound. It's got um, sound effects. It's got sort of nice sound effects that you can actually link to macros and things. It's got a macro button, which is very simple to use. Uh, you, you can record your own voice and then play around with it and then use that as a, as a feature within your game. It doesn't have any audio visuals, so it doesn't use webcams. It doesn't use WebRTC as per Roll20. They've, they've looked at it. I think they've made the decision that, well, if you're going to do that, just use something that does it well and, and use it separately. And we're, and we're not going to go down that path. So I think, I think although they've got a lot of developments to come, the audiovisual element will not be there. And as a consequence, I think I'm always going to be slightly looking for something else because I like that integrated piece. Let's Roll is always going to be free. So they've, they've made a decision that they'll be free. They will charge for things like their hosting. So obviously, because it's all server-based, if you're, if you're putting content up there, you're consuming uh, storage, um, they'll charge you a bit for storage and if you want to buy bling on the actual system then you can 
So as we go out of the Kickstarter, there'll be sort of microtransactions for things like skins, sort of fantasy skins, um, new dice that you can buy. You can literally buy dice. It's like it's like you know, going to a dice shop uh, and getting new uh, and different dice for your for your game. So you can choose to do that, but but fundamentally they will always make the, the actual full features of of Let's Roll free. So there you are, Let's Roll, worth a look. The next one is, is confusingly one called Roll, so not Let's Roll. Let's Roll is very Gallic, and very French and very beautiful. Roll is uh, American and is very, very interesting. Roll, the audiovisuals are the centre of this virtual tabletop. It's like they have developed a video conferencing piece of software and then built tools around that experience. So it's, it's very much the opposite it's, it's design conceit is very different to a lot of the virtual tabletops that are out there. And I really like that. I like the idea that they sort of, no, let's do it, let's do it differently. Let's start with the people in the centre. And then we'll build tools around that that enables people to game. It feels a bit, a bit like my Hangouts experience, but much richer with more tools. It's got a non-programmatic -pro uh, sheet creation system. It's point and click. It will develop over time, but already I've built quite a number of uh, character sheets for it. So a dice roller, it's got asset sharing. The tokens and maps side is rudimentary. There's no fog of war, we've currently got no music. There's no chat system, there's no turn tracking. Many of those features are coming as the virtual tabletop develops. It's in early access at the moment. It, the versioning numbering system for it, I don't really quite follow, but it's on 0.9.2 at time of recording. But it has quite a way to go. There's some major features that will be added to it. And but despite these current limitations, I I anticipate that I will use Roll a lot. It's quick, light, easy, and I get to see people pretty well. the The character sheet creation is simple, and I'm I'm sure will improve in terms of what you can do with it and how well it works over time. I run four E Dungeons and Dragons on it. I've got a character sheet for my own tripod system ready to go on there. And pretty much everything in between is possible, I would say. Most systems are possible at the moment. But integration with game systems will be light, and I think for quite some time to come. As a GM, I'll be working off paper, or maybe another window in terms of notes. I won't be doing it all built into role. I, I can't see that happening. Interesting for me, how far will it succeed as a hybrid of people first and maps and tokens second? And where will the pressure on the development of that virtual tabletop go? So the journey for Roll, I think, is quite interesting, and I'm going to enjoy that journey. And I suspect it it may become my... I think it may be my lightweight default, actually. Browser only again. I would say that Chrome or maybe Chromium-based browsers will be the things that you need to use. So that would include things like Microsoft Edge, Chromium. The actual experience of players coming onto Roll, I've found, has been a little bit variable still. Safari just doesn't cope with it at all, pretty much as far as I can tell. And there are other quirks and combinations. Firefox, just fine, unless you're on a Mac, in which case apparently it's not fine. So there are quirks and there continue to be some dropouts. But I would say for the audio visual that you get, it's, it's one of the best that I've seen. It will be a subscription service after the early access point. I'm not quite sure how that will shape up. You will subscribe to it uh, at some point if you want to keep on it. So Roll, I think, will continue to feature for me. And my last one is, oh, in some ways, is it full circle? No, not really. 
it's Foundry. And Foundry occupies similar territory to Roll20, I would say. It's, it's not as simple as that, I think. It was, in fact, a Valentine's gift. That's the way we roll in my household. Uh, I, I gave my missus a, an extra monitor, so she's got something more for a PhD. We didn't do flowers. So <laughs> there we are. For, it was a, a lovely gift. Foundry is interesting. It's, it's quite a new one. It is that sort of tokens and maps based VTT again. You can host it in a number of ways. It's, it, you, you actually do a one-off purchase of the application. You get a license and you can self-host it. So you can run Foundry on your computer and depending on what you can do with your own network and uh, port forwarding, you could have the players come to you. And so the, the game system operates on your computer and people connect to your computer. The game system exists while your computer's on, you switch your computer off, the game system disappears. So it can be self-hosted, but it can also be hosted uh, in the cloud or on servers. And if it's hosted, obviously, remotely from you, it then becomes browser-based and you connect to it on a browser and it feels more like something like, you know, Let's Roll or uh, Roll20. I very quickly went to the hosted option. They come with some pre-built partners that will offer you hosting for the foundries, a dedicated feature. I went with one of those. I went with the Forge. That will cost you about, at time of recording, just over £40 for a year to do that hosting and you get uh, several gig worth of asset space and you get the whole thing hosted for you. So again, your system and your world that you've generated on there perpetuates when you go away. So if players want to come and connect, they can. Players don't have to buy. You know, you, it's a bit like um, Roll20 in that regard. Players don't have to buy. It's the GM who buys the license for the software. So it's rich. It's very powerful. It's elegant. It has all the elegance for me that Roll20 lacks, but it is quite sophisticated it's I would, I would describe it as a configurator's dream you can add in module after module and they all enhance optionally largely optionally enhance the experience at the table they do different things there's a there's one i've just loaded for example that explicitly allows you to pop out your character sheets off the actual vtt something that that you, that you can do as a default in roll 20. So I've added that one in because that's quite useful from a, from a real estate point of view. Quite nice. In fact, it does it very, very well. That's just one example. There are loads of them. The audiovisual, back to that, is one of two things. The default is WebRTC-based audiovisual. So I, I'm going to give that a go. I'm going to give that a go on the basis that I'm now hosting it to see how that works. I suspect because it's WebRTC, it'll have all the pros and all the cons that WebRTC just brings. So it's peer-to-peer. It's going to depend on the connectivity of all the players as to how successful that's going to be, as, as I understand it anyway. Another option, another module, another option is that you can go with a dedicated Jitsi server. So that I think is recommended because the load on each individual person accessing the game is much more manageable because a lot of the audiovisual side of it is being managed by the Jitsi service that is attached to and integrated with Foundry. So clever, very clever that they've got that as another option. It's the first that I've seen that does that sort of, you know, one or other technology and probably is an insight into the technical sophistication, I'm going to say, of Foundry. I mean, you can make it rain with a push of a button. It's going to rain now. 
autumnal leaves. Yeah, I'll, I'll push that button here. Oh look, lots of nice autumnal leaves are falling. I mean, why play a game? Just just keep pushing the buttons. You know, it's, it's brilliant. So I'm going to use Foundry for my regular weekly Pathfinder game. And I do that in part because Pathfinder support is excellent. And it's excellent partly because of Paizo's enlightened policy on its SRD, which is very, very, very complete. So it's got essentially all the monsters in a compendium. You can download, when you, when you download the Pathfinder game system and have that operating in Foundry, you get a great character sheet, you get, you know, all the spells, all the monsters, all the items. You get monsters that are specific to their scenarios as well, their official scenarios. It's all there. For me, that was mind-blowing. Literally, I want a null. Now, if I want a null, I click on null, and there is the full stats, which I can then deploy and use in the game. All the richness that Pathfinder comes in terms of its options are just made available for you. Really quite incredible. But it doesn't stop there. With the, sort of, with the sort of integration. This is what I mean about the rich integration that you can get with these. There's a fantastic app on your phone, on your Android phone, called PathBuilder, PathBuilder 2. And it basically lets you pick and mix and very quickly build a Pathfinder character at, at any level. And it's it's got all the, I don't know how, I don't know how, but it's got all the different uh, expansions that Pathfinder has brought, you know, the, the new ancestries, the new classes and so on. They're all pretty much there. It's a great app. And certainly if you're a Pathfinder player of the second edition i think there might be a path builder one as well but path builder 2 brilliant absolutely brilliant couldn't believe it well i could believe it because i researched it but i still can't quite believe it you push a button in path builder and it imports it into foundry so you can build your character maintain your character and push up a button there it is it's in foundry and available for play awesome doesn't stop there there's a pdf importer so if you buy a, an, an official sort of Paizo uh, PDF on their store, download it. The PDF importer says, would you like to import that for assets in Foundry? So you, you kind of say yes. You point it at the PDF and click import. And literally you just sit back and you watch it building all the assets, all the maps, all the tokens. Well, not not so much the tokens actually, but certainly all the, all, all the images, all the journal items for the text, of the different adventures all comes in i think there's some sorting out you're going to have to do once it's all there but it puts it all in there as assets for you and then you can start to use those really really incredible i look back to my stuff on let's roll and i just think what was i doing so i've bought i've, I've invested in foundry as a time saver for me and my campaign that i'm using in pathfinder foundry does have lots of other systems that are out there mostly all community built though so if the system is out there, I will consider using Foundry. If the system is not out there, my JavaScript is not good enough to use to, to build my own. There are some drag and drop um, options for building sheets. I, I might look at those maybe, but actually I, I think, to be honest, I will use Foundry if, if it support, supports the game system I want to use. If it's not there, I probably won't use Foundry. I'll use something else, probably something much lighter, may well be something like Roll, or maybe let's roll if there's a, if there's a sheet on there. But Foundry as a high-end, sophisticated, elegant virtual tabletop. I'm not saying it's the end of my journey because I don't think it is, but it's a, it's definitely a tick. But I'm going to need to do more and find out more. I will do another another podcast um, talking a bit about Foundry. I will almost certainly do a video. The other thing about Foundry that I would say is there are several people out there who are dedicating to providing tutorials on Foundry. 
I mean, there are some absolutely amazing tutorials out there. So despite the sophistication, people out there have made it easy. You literally go to YouTube, how do I do this? Click, oh yeah, that's how I do that. Bang, it's done. So, and the journey with Foundry is quite fun as well. I'm enjoying, well, I'm a bit of a play with it, to be honest. So a few weeks time, I'll start using Foundry in fun, <laughs> proper fun, proper gaming fun. So that'd be really good. I've only just scraped the surface of it, to be honest, but very impressive. So there you are. Those are the ones that I know. There are uh, lots more out there. And if I haven't mentioned yours, then, well, I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> but um, Fantasy Grounds is another big one. It's highly thought of, I think, in places. I know absolutely nothing about it. So um, if, you, if that's your favourite, fantastic. Uh, Astral is another. I had a very short period of time where I loaded Astral or I had a go at it and I just bounced off it. I just couldn't work out how to load a map. And I spent so long trying to find out how to work that out. I actually gave up. It's probably really good, but to be honest, I just bounced off it. So I don't know, Astral, there you are. And there are a lot of others. Well, I, I would describe them as more your lightweight uh, token and map virtual tabletops that all have something, to be honest. They all bring something. Mythic, something called Table Plop. I'm not even joking. It's quite good. Albert Rodeo and so many more. So if I haven't mentioned yours, as I say, sorry, it's a personal journey. And there you go. That's my quick run through of the ones that I've found, some of the reasons that I like them, some of the reasons that maybe I have kept looking a little bit. So there you go. Okay, that's it. That's it. And I think that now I'll move on to the outro. Well, there we go. I mean, a very personal journey through virtual tabletops, what they've meant for me, the ones that I've used and how I've found them, I guess. I'm going to stay with them and I will stay with them for the long term. It's not, for me, just a feature of the pandemic. I have new groups, I have more games, I've played more games using them, good games. They defy geography, and they enable me and open up a broader variety of games because I can just go out there. If you're playing with a home group, that's great. Obviously, there are great things about having a home group, but you are sometimes quite constrained about the systems that you can run, and there are just, I suppose, some of the scheduling problems that come with that. So I think they're here to stay for me. I can find people who want to play a particular game and have the good fortune to have made good friends and some new contacts, you know, on the way of doing that, which is lovely. For me, VTTs make it easy to manage my time and deliver a great space for some fun gaming. And I think, you know, there'll be a lot about them that I would miss if I were to move back to only face-to-face -face gaming. They, they do deliver something, they provide you with something extra. And I think we shouldn't underestimate that. For now, in terms of which ones I'm going to use, well, as you can see, I will probably blend them and use them to play to their strengths. And those strengths, the strengths that I've seen in these virtual tabletops will develop as they themselves mature as products. I mean, if I was to Highlander-like move to only the one, then it would be interesting to see how that plays out because I'm not sure which one it would actually be. I'm not in a hurry. I have loads of great options to help me with my gaming right now. So I'm in a good place with them. I do have other tools that I use to develop my games, but that's definitely the subject for another podcast. And so in that case, that's it for this episode. I hope it was of interest. Get in touch on Anchor, or you can email me at first.age.games at gmail.com and let me know what you think or where you are up to with virtual tabletops. So all the best, take care and enjoy the gaming.